have Mike Finch here. Thanks, Mike, for joining me. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure, yeah. My name is Mike Finch. I work over at Lee University. Uh, and Lee University is a, it's about 5,000 student Christian uh, liberal arts university. Um, I'm a communication and journalism professor uh, and um, also uh, teach social media and advise their student media. So I'm over the newspaper and stuff like that. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, and I, I just um, finished a Ph.D. from Regent University in communication, um, and the focus of my dissertation was actually Christians who lived during the Soviet era and their stories of resistance. Uh, the actual title of the dissertation is longer and uh, more annoying, uh, you know, does scholar speak in it, but that's the basic idea. <laughs> that's interesting. So um, we're talking about kind of the big picture of what's going on in the church, and I know um, at least in the past, that's been a little bit of the focus of some of what you've been looking at. Where are we headed? What are we? What are we thinking is important? What are the changes that we're going to see in the near future? And you know, just as in that, as we look at the church in America, kind of as a whole, do you have any kind of basic impressions of what what are the changes that we're seeing, and what's what's important for us, and what's important for us to be looking at and focused on? Well, I come at this kind of from two angles. The uh, the first angle is as a communication, you know, professional, uh, theorist, researcher. And um, from the communication perspective, uh, the idea of um, technological determinism, uh, which is basically the idea that um, communication technology is greatly shaping the way uh our culture develops and in shaping the way our culture develops, it's also very much so shaping the way we do church. Um, and so from that perspective, um, you know, new technologies, social media in particular, um, and smartphones, um, beyond that, um, are radically changing the way that we interact with each other. Um, and actually, the, the crazy thing is it's also radically changing, potentially, the way that we interact with God. So um, that's a shift that I see that's kind of a tectonic shift in the American church, where the last time a shift like this happened was the Reformation. Uh, and um, the Reformation, of course, came right after the printing press. The printing press was a major technological change. It allowed for the democratization of information, and um, the Bible became uh, available to the common man, yeah. um, and all of a sudden you have this massive shift in how people interact with God. It goes from you know a priestly interaction um, in that kind of a setting to um, a personal relationship with God, um, and um, so really it's it's kind of an exciting time. I would say we're in the middle of the transition is the problem. So where will it go? There's a lot of different ideas on that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it seems like. Five, ten years ago, there was a lot of talk about postmodernism um, and some of the Christian thinkers that were talking about that were developing things in the emergent movement, in the missional movement, um, and just a lot of different shapes of church that were mm -hmm. coming out of books and conferences and people's thoughts. Um, but so much of that has kind of faded. 
Um, do you think those ideas and those thoughts are still relevant? Have we just changed the way we talk? Or does it seem like we're headed in, in a different direction? It's a great question. Um, and um, there's a lot of different thinkers out there um, focused on that. The, the emergent church has sort of, um, from my perspective, largely like worked itself into a grave from a couple different texts. Um, it was a great movement. Um, the movement was, um, I mean, it, it had, it was really multifaceted, uh, but, um, you know, seemed to be characterized by, um, churches that wanted to get into their community, um, have, you know, real relationship do you know, focus more on some social justice issues, things like that. Um, and, um, theologically what that meant, well, that's a, that's a big discussion, but, um, Unfortunately, some of those movements within the emergent church followed the path of really the um, the social justice movement of the 60s, um, which was they, you know, became more focused on the work that they were doing and um, forgot about why they were doing it to some extent. Um, and so have, have really just sort of loosed the moors from scripture. Um, and so that, and really historically, I, I was a part of the Methodist church for a long time. Um, actually, technically I'm probably still a, a member of a Methodist church somewhere. And, um, the Methodist church is, is a great case study in watching that kind of thing happen. Um, within the Methodist church, you have evangelical Bible focused churches and you have churches that have, you know, really just totally gone social justice. And some of them, they don't really even, I mean, the Bible is just kind of a, a, a nice storybook. Um, and the churches that are growing are the more strongly evangelical. And when I say evangelical, that has so much baggage. I hate, I hate that it does. But um, the, the ones that are more focused on, on Christ and on sharing the gospel, and on uh, scripture, um, they're growing still. Uh, the ones that, that lose the moors from scripture, um, they basically decline. Now, it takes years and years to see that kind of thing, but the trajectory is just those churches die, and the ones that focus on scripture um, survive and sometimes thrive. Um, and so that's sort of where I see the emergent church going. It's, it's uh, in an attempt sometimes to become relevant, sometimes to fight for causes, all kinds of things, um, has, has gone down that same exact path as the social justice movement of the 60s. What about, you know, we saw some, we saw some statistical um, research, I think, the beginning of this year from Pew about church attendance and affiliation and really saw declines in every... Um, church affiliation, I think, except traditional black churches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, what's your impression of that? I, I, it, it seems to me that whenever we hear, well, everybody likes to say everybody else is declining for these reasons, except sure. for the thing I believe. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and um, and that's a great point. Um, really, the um, I find that. And this is where technological determinism does come back in. Um, the millennial generation, which really kind of skipped emergent, was like 
pre-millennial. They never got on board with that train or a few of them did. But um, and so the emergent church was a part of the transition uh, from my perspective. And they were experimenting. And really, like I said, I really respect the emergent movement. There were a lot of great things that happened within it. But some of their main leaders is what I was more talking about with kind of following the path of the social justice movement of the 60s. Um, but the actual movement itself, great time of experimentation, great time of, you know, seeking God in new ways, cool stuff. So that was a transition to the millennials now. Um, and I work with them every day. Um, and we're soon going to get to the, the generation like or generation Z or whatever you want to call it. The current generation of uh, people who were born um, right around 2000 and um, have grown up completely digital natives, completely wireless natives, all those kinds of things. Um, this generation um, is much more entrenched in media, and um, which it's a different type of media. The older form was mass media, um, and mass media led to mass culture. So everybody sort of was going one way or another way. And um, churches sort of followed that mass media form. And actually, the successful churches right now are following a mass media format still. Um, and like Hillsong Church is a mass media church. Um, and um, they have a... I actually just went to Hillsong Conference this summer. It was phenomenal. And um, really interesting um, people. Um, but their their church is a, is a mass media format. Now, it's an entertainment format, which is a very important thing to media in this generation. And um, so it also works in that respect. Um, but they've, you know, they've really got a good core and um, do try to take people deeper than the entertainment. Um, so this generation um, is, has one of the hardest things to cope with um, in the history of the world, I would say, in the history of, of, uh, of, of the faith, which is um, universal information availability. Um, and a child of, I remember when my two-year-old was one, um, he could swipe through our iPad and find his favorite apps and play his favorite games at one years old, one year old, you know, he, he couldn't even, um, he can't still eat. He's just now figuring out how to eat with a spoon, Mm -hmm. but he could swipe through an iPad. So, um, the technology is just ubiquitous, you know, it's everywhere. And, um, and young people are engaging in it, but they're, they're, they have a universal knowledge available to them and, you know, truth, lies, spin, entertainment, hate, you know, sexuality when they're 10 years old, you know, they're being exposed to these kinds of things. And, um, to me, statistics like, that, um, you know, 70 to 75% of Christian men, um, deal with, um, struggle with pornography issues. Um, and, um, statistics about the youth generation, um, that, you know, 90 plus percent of adolescent boys, um, have been exposed to, um, to pornography. Um, those kinds of things are creating, a real tension within the culture um, of Christianity. And um, so, I mean, that's just one aspect of that universal knowledge. You know, the kids nowadays are much smarter than my generation was. You know, we had so much less to think about 
and so much, so many fewer tools. I mean, we had encyclopedias. Remember yeah. those? You know, <laughs> and uh, how we wrote and, reports. Uh, yeah. Yep. And uh, index cards in the library, um, and they can just Google anything that they want to. So, um, with that universal knowledge, um, and the entrenchment in media. Um, I just think that, that, um, kids are able to, uh, are, are being asked to become an adults at a much younger age, um, and are seeing the, um, that the emperor is naked, <laughs> you know, they, they see all of the humanity of the church, which is a really difficult thing to grasp, you know, that, that, um, your parents, your pastor, everybody are just human. Um, and uh, those kinds of realities are making it much harder for young, uh, young people to adhere to this thing, you know, because they just, um, they're overwhelmed with all these other things. And the other side of that is relationship, intimacy is, um, is being greatly diminished. Um, and so instead of, you know, what was a, a Pentecostal church like, or a, uh, even just evangelical church, like even just 20 years ago, there was a Wednesday night service. There was a youth service on Saturday night or Sunday night or Friday night. Um, there were, there was a Sunday morning, you know, something, there was a Saturday morning men's breakfast and women's breakfast and people were at the church all the time. And um, actually, my the church that I'm currently attending just canceled its Wednesday night service um, because people aren't going. What are they doing? They're at home on their phones and, and doing other things like that. And so the breakdown of literal community, of individual personal relationships with young people um, is... Um, and then the opportunity for them to have this universal knowledge of other things and all kinds of enticements... Um, on the other side, um, is, um, just, you know, allowing them to, um, and then, you know, uh, and then, a, there is sort of a mass culture that's uh, offering them a lot of other ideas, um, that seem really valid. And so they're getting on board with a lot of that and it just gives them a lot of reasons to go away. Yeah. You know, I, I speak with a fair number of people about, um, kind of predicting what are, what are we seeing in the next 10 years 20 years 50 years um you know and I, I hear a variety of answers but as you were talking it it struck me that maybe one of our problems is um the people that we look to for predictions are somewhat removed from so much of this that you're talking about do you think that's an issue that you know those who are who are predicting, oh, this is what church is going to look like, are not the millennial generation that's been immersed in a certain type of lifestyle, and they don't completely understand. You know, when we say, when somebody says, oh, we're going to be doing house churches in 20 years, or oh, no, we're still going to be doing the big auditorium-type churches, or whatever it is, do we do we have a problem that we don't completely understand where the culture is going because we're removed from the culture of the generations that are emerging. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think a lot of the theorists have are, are, you know, 
are predicting things that, that make sense. Um, but, um, really this generation doesn't know where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're in transition. I, 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 that's actually one of, that is the characteristic uh, of, of this generation is it is a transitional generation. Hmm. And, um, as long as we make it through the transition, uh, you know, humanity is going to look radically different in 20 years. Um, and really where we're headed, uh, as a church and as, as, as humans is really in, in some ways very kind of, it, it's scary, but there could be great opportunities. Um, and what, do, what are the implications for the church of, you know, cyborgism, you know, <laughs> And really kind of like, are we currently today um, somewhat storing our identity and um, using our smartphones as, as a part of our uh, thinking process? Mm. You know, it's like, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's actually the, if I was to only, if I was to give one characteristic of this generation is it's a transitional generation still. Um, and we have not settled and so any prediction in a transitional generation uh, could have merit, you know, it could be based on, you know, some trajectory um, from different ideas. And, uh, but it, it, it may or may not work out because we're in the transition, you know, yeah. <laughs> who would have predicted the reformation when the printing press came around? Yeah. So what do we need to do with um, the way we, we respond to change and to so many things that are changing and emerging in technology as well as culture and the way people interact. It seems to me that so often the church has been on the side of preserve the old and reject the new. Um, And that is usually the wrong side to be, we find out a few years later. Right. Um, So as you know, as we're seeing changes in the way people interact with technology and, you know, as, as you were talking about the, the idea of, of cyborg, that that's going to sound crazy probably to some listeners, but, you know, I can just imagine the preacher who hears that and, and says, Oh, that's, that's, that's a horrible thing. We're taking the soul out of humanity. And, um, or whatever, right. mm-hmm. but but so much of it is inevitable. Um, how do we respond? How do we react? How do we prepare ourselves for change? Yeah, and embrace and it in the right way. Yeah, it's um, it's a really difficult question. The things that I would probably focus on, personal, actually, the things that I try to focus on are there are some things that we have to value from the old. So without our history, without, and actually one of the, um, I don't know, there's a book, Ancient Future Faith, um, and uh, one of the scholars that predicted this stuff, I think in the late 90s, said that um, basically technology is going to um, move people back to um, more liturgical modes and um, basically back to the, ki- the kinds of interactions that we had in the, the pre-modern or the, pre- the pre-literate even um, times. Now, um, to me, that was only a singular strain, but, um, we do have to remember sometimes we do have to go back and the things that the church, um, 
should really focus on right now to maintain relevance is actually sometimes old school intimacy, not, you know, not uh, sexual or relational like that, but intimacy between people, intimacy between friends, caring relationships um, is, is a hallmark of, of, you know, a good church is to have really good relationships. And this generation, because of digital technology, um, often has diluted relationships. You know, they might have 2,000 friends, quote, um, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever. Um, but, um, or Tumblr followers or 20,000. I have students who have had 20,000 or more Twitter followers and things like that. Um, but who do they actually know? Who actually cares about them and cares deeply? So yeah. the, the old thing would be definitely to, to maintain relational bonds and actually like reject some of the new technology stuff and, and, uh, and say, we're going to do relationship well. Um, so that's one thing. I, I can keep going if you want. <laughs> don't, we, don't we there then again run the risk of being the people who say, oh, smartphones are going to be uh, the yeah. downfall of our the way we relate to each other. You know, just the the old curmudgeon that Sure. Well, actually that and the the second the second huge thing that and this is one that churches aren't focusing on is um is that we need to have a real respect for this generation and show them that we respect them. Um to me, uh, Hillsong Church is an interesting um, case study in how they treat this generation. They sort of um, think of this generation like they they kind of they want to be right at the cutting edge, and so their their senior pastors wear skinny jeans, um, and so they respect this generation so much that the older people actually try to reflect it. Now, I personally think that um, that that's unnecessary, um, but if you come at this generation with, with real respect for, you know, that they are living in, in a world that um, maybe even my generation and, and those older than, than me don't understand, um, and that they have lots of skills and that they have real value. Like, if you come at the, the generation and say, you have real value, um, and we, you know, we want to have a relationship with you um, and respect that you you know, are exceptionally networked and, and, um, and try to integrate with that. Um, but coming at it from that perspective, um, makes it unnecessary to be a millennial. Um, I think that's just going too far. It's like, you know, a 50 year old, 60 year old pastor is never going to be a hipster. You know, it's just yeah. no matter how hard they try, they're not going to do it. Um, but if they come at it with that respect and, um, and then from that position of respect, um, and even love and care, uh, you know, attempt some uh, moves into those those areas. Um, kids really respect that. You know, they're like, "Whoa, this person!" Even though they're sixty years old, and they don't really understand this, you know, uh, whatever. It's uh, actually the one that I'm trying to explore right now is Snapchat. Don't understand it at all. Rejected it early on because really early on it, it wasn't a good good thing, <laughs> you know, um, and. Uh, but now BuzzFeed gets 25% of its um, traffic from Snapchat. Hmm. Um, and BuzzFeed is one of the, you know, so, and this generation, um, 
fully understand that anything that they put up online could you know go viral or not all of them but a lot of them do uh, and um, so they're using Snapchat all the time because it, it uh, gives them the the idea that it's actually a, a private communication so me starting to wade into those waters uh, carefully um, and uh, and then you know talk and learning from my students um, and learning from the kids around me on how to engage the technology properly, you know, um, gives them respect, gives, empowers them, shows them that I care, and, um, and then, uh, you know, allows for relationship. Um, but, man, you talk to any kid these days and tell them that, um, that this generation is really struggling with loneliness and that this generation um, is, uh, is really you know, maybe has issues with intimacy and understanding how to relate to each other. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah. yeah." You know, that's why I think that's where the beards came from. You know, the big bushy hipster beards. It was like a, a a subconscious rejection of technology. Um, you know, saying, you know, we're going to do something just grisly and, um, you know, different because, um, the trappings of, of, of that technology are just um, too much. So yeah. uh, I don't know. That's just a weird theory about the beards, but that, you know, <laughs> the, the rest of it, you can kind of see. Do you ever watch Portlandia? No, I've seen it. I, I know about it though. Yeah. Have you seen the, the dream of the 1890s song? Is this no, whole, is this I whole, I have to look that up. Yeah. It's this whole sketch song where first, first you think they're talking about the 1990s, but then they start talking about making your own soap and making your own furniture and, having long beards and suspenders and and that's i like i said there's a real uh, i mean people are trying to figure out how to live in this world and part of sure. it and, and see that technology is encroaching on something and um and so they're searching for the real and in searching for the real um that's where a lot of that comes from i think hmm. what about what about some theology um you know i, I think we're seeing some examinations of theology now in ways that I don't ever remember seeing. And maybe maybe it has always gone on. Um, but examining things like the atonement and what was it that Jesus did on the cross and how should we understand that hell, you know, and, and, and some some people are going to absolutely reject those kind of examinations and questionings of our doctrines that we might assume are as old as Christ. Um, right. But the reality is there is a lot of examination going on. And I, I just heard someone talking the other day that they were predicting that within 50 years, um, annihilationism would be the predominant doctrine of the American church. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And there were some pretty yeah. legitimate reasons for, for, going in that direction. Um, so, you know, why, why do you think we're examining some of those things and is it important and valuable? Well, I think a couple of things here. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there's several different sort of forces at work. <laughs> um, and so the, there's a progressive theology um, and really the progressive theology comes out of the late 1800s. Um, and you can go back before that, but, um, one of my favorite authors is GK Chesterton 
And um, Chesterton, 100 100 to 130 years ago, was um, sort of um, arguing some of the same things that I'm seeing come up from the progressive uh, movement. Um, And so um, the progressives think it's new, but it's, it's really it's not. Um, so that's, that's one trend that I don't really, um, support. Um, and I, I, think, I, I think, I think a lot of people who are questioning things are not really saying it's new. Maybe it's new now, right. but they're actually saying it's old <laughs> and that, that's right. what lends it legitimacy. Yep. And this, um, this also comes to, um, the availability of information. Um, you know, and honestly, this is an area that I have dipped my toes in but I can't really speak with any authority. Um, my area of authority is more, um, you know, communication technology and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but what I see is, um, you know, s- people have access to um, all kinds of old tomes and all kinds of old stuff. And so, yeah, from that perspective, some people um, see, oh gosh, what was that movie with, uh, with Tom Hanks? Um, and uh, he he was uh, semiotics. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, they see something like that, and um, all of a sudden say, "Wait a second! There were other things written by other people in the names of some of the apostles and things like that." Um, and that just blows their mind and makes them question everything. Um, and so, what I see is: uh, Do I think that's going to happen? Do I think that? Uh, that um, that there will be a full revisionism of Christianity, or that um, that Christianity will completely um, fall away. Um, I I don't really see that. Um, what I I mean, I kind of see it's another one of those the cycles of um, of rethinking theology, um, and some will move to sort of I, I, of a more progressive theology and others will um, sort of, some will double down, some will come to a new sort of middle ground. Like, uh, really, Hillsong is actually an interesting example of, of a move to a new way of understanding the gospel, um, but that holds to a traditional gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really reject um, debating a lot of different things in general, in public. However, Brian Houston, he just wrote a new book that just came out, um, and um, it's it's his sort of personal story, Live, Love, Lead. And um, he reaffirms in that book on a few different issues, um, you know, traditional Christian doctrine. And really, they, they come from old-school Pentecostalism, uh, which is, you know, old-school doctrine. But the way that they're engaging culture is saying we want to be open and we want to not engage these debates so that we won't be branded in a way that um, makes us unable to have relationship. And um, the online mob mentality uh, that we exist in these days um, makes it very easy to brand yourself. Um, And people don't understand. Actually, I just taught uh, a, a lecture on personal branding and um, on um, how you have such power online to control perception um, and how so many people don't, uh, don't do that well um, or don't do that purposefully. And um, so 
because labels are so easily thrown around and the online world lacks such depth, um, they've, they've had to step back completely from having really heavy public stances on theology and just kind of had a theology of, of love and openness um, externally and then through relationship come to a more traditional and um, uh, solid theology, really. Because, um, I mean, the theology of, quote, love um, or Jesus' love um, basically is saying theology is whatever the heck you want it to be, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but to, to maintain that openness, they're not branding themselves um, on any major argument. Um, and so I hope they don't mind me mentioning them. I guess that's all public stuff. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm promoing his book. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, um, it's interesting. I I was just talking with someone about, about the Pope and the thing that they brought up was that uh, so much of what we see from Pope Francis is an example of the love of Jesus. It seems like that's what, what he has tried to promote, not necessarily, um, promoting certain, doctrines or dogmas or even changing those official um, way the church operates, but but exemplifying something. And I, it seems like maybe that's, that's really the appeal of Francis, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, if he was just making proclamations, probably the majority of us wouldn't care. But when we see him go down any dinner with homeless people that makes us pay attention um, in a way that just talking about doctrine doesn't. Right. And actually the Pope, um, he's, a, he's a great example. Actually it's his sort of PR method, um, which I mean, it's weird to think about it that way, but um, what he's doing um, is very similar in that he's, he's maintained a fairly traditional stance in his faith. Like he said some things, not quite as publicly, um, that, uh, that definitely maintain a traditional interpretation of scripture. Um, but then he's also, you know, tried to show a real, um, openness towards, um, humanity, um, in all of its facets and, um, as it is, you know, sort of come as you are. Um, and he's done a great job of that. Um, yeah. I was thinking also earlier, you were talking about the, the idea of younger people seeing the humanity of church leaders. And I was just thinking uh, the same conversation about the Pope that we were talking about just the fact that he has displayed his own humanity and not stood on this papal office or, you know, making, you know, upholding the dignity of the papal office, but he has brought himself down to being a human being. And Absolutely. That's, that's probably quite impressive to a lot of people as well. Yeah. And the, um, actually in that lecture I just did yesterday, one of the values of this generation is, is authenticity. Um, and they really see that in the Pope. They see that he's, he's authentic now. I mean, and they see, uh, they don't feel attacked. Um, a lot of what I see uh, is in social media in particular um, is um, this generation has a really hard time debating 
Um, mm. They have a very hard time having a civil disagreement. And um, they instead are tribal, which again goes to pre preliterate. As some, uh, the new technology, um, like the ancient future faith argument, um, is actually bringing us back to a different way of, of understanding each other. So tribal mentalities um, are much more focused on relationship um, and much less focused on logical, rational arguments. Um, and um, that's what we're seeing. So he has just come across with his public persona as relational. Um, and through that, um, potentially gains some uh, credibility to um, to kind of privately um, have his his uh, more his beliefs, and then you know gains a platform to share those with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's um, he, he's really a great um, example. I think also of. Um, I've been in a Mennonite church for a little while, and there has been a fair amount of controversy um, dealing, knowing how to deal with same-sex marriage. And um, you know, there are there are the the people who want to to divide over it, really, and to mm-hmm. say, you know, we will make our own group and function this way, and you can have your group and function that way. Um, and then I've been impressed with a lot of Mennonite leaders who have really wanted to say, let's slow down, let's be welcoming and accepting and loving, but perhaps we put, we put love and unity above taking a hard doctrinal position that leads to division, um, so I, I think that's been interesting and something that I haven't seen in in other parts of the of in other Protestant churches um, that I've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Difficult, difficult issue, and also a branding issue. So this is an issue that um, once you take a stance in any direction, um, you. Um, I mean, for me personally, um, I have. Um, family and friends, um, who are, who are homosexual. And, um, I have family and friends who are, um, who believe, you know, who are atheists and all kinds of other things. Um, and, um, in the church, uh, what I see is, um, that this particular, this is a divisive issue. Um, and it's a, um, what I can say publicly is, um, because again, this is one of those things that touching it with a ten foot pole um, brands you. All of a sudden, you're labeled one thing or another yep. thing. Yep. Um, and from, frankly, from my perspective, that's one of the real problems with this generation. It's something I try to combat. I'm like, no, you can have a civil debate. You can disagree and respect each other. You know, um, if somebody thinks one thing, they're not a hater, and neither are you. <laughs> You know, Mm, Um, so actually that's uh, one of the things that I bring to my debates on on other topics or my personal debates on this particular issue um, is that lesson. Um, And to me, that's something that um, that this world, this I mean, this country needs to learn if it is actually going to be pluralistic. 
um, which is um, different people can have different ideas and that doesn't make them evil or haters or, you know, and they can still care about you and radically disagree on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, you don't have to be in perfect agreement to care about each other. Um, now, within the church, doctrinally speaking, some churches, um, I, it, it's just a difficult thing to talk about. I really, I like um, Hillsong's stance of um, being a welcoming uh, community um, that um, that really is open, shows that they care, um, and um, and then holds to um, doctrinal standards. Um, but man, like I said, tough issue. Uh, and uh, yeah, and that's you know, I think that position that Hillsong has taken is is a little bit difficult um, because still it's it's something that a lot of people don't understand where they mm-hmm. it, it almost gets communicated like Hillsong's trying to be loving on the outside but really they're hiding their hatefulness <laughs> right well and see um, but even even that reaction shows the the inability for civil disagreement uh, right um, and, and because even from to their have perspective they're not being hateful from their perspective right, um, right. they're they're being as loving as possible um, in being able to accept people as they are and then from their perspective so uh, they are then showing you know a, a better way you know so that's yeah. um, and but but on the other side of that um, that gets interpreted as as hate. <laughs> and it's not and, just it's not just the same sex marriage issue it's so many issues where we're unable to have to kind of hold nuanced positions right. um and to have complex conversations about these things um you know the 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 planned parenthood debate kind of drives me crazy um, right because it's either all or nothing and sure. and we're unable to actually have a conversation that says, well, maybe Planned Parenthood does something good. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's frustrating. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and yeah, like I said, that's something I fight for. And actually, it's really funny. I will take positions in my social media, um, not, a, not on that particular issue. I mean, I've talked about it, but I've never actually said, you know, this is where I stand. Um, and, uh, but um, oftentimes what I find is I will make a comment that is um, not in any way critical. You know, it's just this is what I think and people will react as if I hurt them or as if I hate them and they'll get all angry back at me. And so my fight on, in social media is not to defend myself anymore. It's simply to help um, people who have um, who I communicate with to have civil communication, um, yeah. and um, so that's that's the fight in my world. But I, I really think that's a, a big problem that this that our country has. Mm, yeah, uh, you can see it in. I mean, look at the the political situation. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, we've we've got um, there's no nuance. Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're either left or right. There's no middle ground. And if if you go in one issue one way, and uh, then you know you're you're rejecting the whole. 
of the other. So yeah, it's just a bad, uh, bad way to live. Yeah. I feel like we've taken way more time than I said we were going to take. I have no idea. I was going <laughs> to cut it off in about uh, five minutes. So yeah. I, I, uh, I realized that I don't have these kind of conversations. Uh, I, I like talking about this topic a lot and I don't talk about it with very many people anymore. Yeah. So, uh, it's, well, it's such a tough issue, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, um, if anyone wants to hear more from you or, or contact you, is there ways that they can, they can find you? Um, yeah, let's see. Well, <laughs> this is a great excuse for me to, it's been a year since I posted to my, my blog. So that's, uh, you know, that's, it's sitting there, but I'm going to post to my blog within the next month. Um, but I've got a blog, thefinchreview.com, so pretty easy to remember. And um, the other place would be um, Twitter. It's um, Finch747, so Finch with a capital F, 747. 